0: But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he, Peter, was to glorify God. After saying this, he said to him, follow me. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God endures forever. Let's do pray. Father, thank you for your word. And we ask now that you'd bless the hearing, the reading, now the preaching of your word. And that we might leave this place as followers with a heightened love for you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let me ask you a question did you ever find yourself at odds with a friend husbands wives count as friends vice versa children your parents count as friends they're your best friends so have you ever had that happen You're at odds with someone that you respect someone you love perhaps and it's perhaps because you did something wrong, or you didn't do something that they ask you to do. Now it's getting a little personal, right? Um, as I've heard said, and you have too. Now, now, Pastor, you've moved from preaching to meddling, but it's a good question, isn't it? You apologize. But things just kind of stay a bit cool. You apologize again, just to be sure they know you apologized. And they say, nothing, everything's fine. Fine. I accept your apology. Everything's fine. But they don't ask you to do anything. They don't ask you to help them with anything. They don't entrust you with another job. And you can tell. And, uh, and you just wish something would happen that would clear the air. You may even go again and say, look, we really got to clear the air on this. And they'll say, the air's clear. Everybody, everybody goofs. You goofed. I forgave you. Not a big deal. Quit fretting about it. But then everything just kind of goes on. You don't eat together ever again. You pass in the way well that's sort of kind of something like what's going on here remember it's not been long since Peter three times denied the Lord committed high treason against God almighty and now he's out Of the grave, he's walking the earth, and we have this episode. And you notice that Jesus initiates it. He says, Simon, Peter, son of John, do you love me more than these? Now, I think it's important to note you know, there are times. That it's uh, it's fine to address other people in front of people, then there are other times when it's best not to, and especially if you've had some sort of little something, right? Some little some little issue, maybe like I've just described. Notice in verse twenty, Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. So apparently, Jesus had said, "Peter, hey, let's go for a walk." So they're walking along the Sea of Tiberias, the the Sea of Galilee. So he's taking them aside, and he starts talking to him, asking him these questions. And that's what Jesus does. We've seen this over and over again. Jesus, and particularly recently, Jesus coming to the church, Jesus coming to individuals, and here he is again. After dealing with the apostles in their corporate you know, collected state, and then having breakfast with them, the communion that they had around the table. Now he's dealing with Peter in a one-on-one. One commentator gives a heading for his commentary on this this paragraph fifteen through nineteen as Peter's new commission. When I read it, I was like, eh, not really. He was already commissioned, remember? Now there's something additional added to the commission. So he's right in that sense. There is more to the commissioning now. Uh, F.F. Bruce, who was one of the 20th century fine commentators on a number of New Testament books, wrote a number of books on the the, uh, New Testament documents and the reliability of the New Testament uh, Greek text. he he says that uh, in the first instance Peter was commissioned to the hook. And now he's being commissioned to the crook. Some of you get it. Most of you look like you wish you were in bed. <laughs> the hook. Go be fishermen. Fishers of men. That was the first commissioning, remember? I'm going to make you fishers of men. Now, feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. The crook, the shepherd's crook. Go back to Psalm 23 if you've grown a little rusty. The shepherd had his staff and his his crook to help shepherd the, the sheep, to help bring them back into the way to save them when they're off the edge of a cliff. So that's where we are here. He's already been commissioned with the hook and now he's being further commissioned as are all the apostles and as are we as people of the crook. That is part of the communion of saints. It's not just for elders and deacons. It's for all of us to exercise a shepherding role at that level, to care for one another. And we do that around here, you know, with the child protection uh, policy and our actions. If, If we see a child wandering stray, we crook them. And we pull them back. Usually after they've run over us, and while we're lying out on the out on the the sidewalk or in the hallway, we take the crook and trip them first, and then get them and lovingly take them back to their parents. We all exercise that from fishing to shepherding, and this is, as I said, still the call of the church. Peter had sinned grievously. It hasn't been long. It hasn't been many days at all. Now the Lord comes to him and he calls this impetuous, weak-kneed follower and restores him. Sets him back up to go and do what he is there to do. Four things I want us to see. The main one is the first point the next two could easily just be sub-points of number one, but I, I, I put them in there as, as points because I want it to, 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 to be in our minds. The first is with a f- call to faith comes a call to repentance and love. And that, by the way, is not just in that initial call to faith when we're called to believe in Jesus Christ unto justification and adoption, but it's always the case. That's a major contribution of, of, of Luther and the Reformation is that repentance is not a, a, a one-time thing. It's not something that can be purchased, certainly. It's not something that you only have to do once. It's like faith is not something you only believe once. It's something that goes on and on and on and must go on and on or else you die Spiritually. So let me say this this passage do you love me is not about peter being saved it's not about him coming to faith for the first time but it's about a saint who has sinned has sinned greatly it's about a saint who 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 without doubt is questioning his usefulness i mean just think about this you go back to John, chapter twelve and uh, John thirteen, and and you find Peter making some of these some of these bold statements. I will never leave you. I'll never go away, Lord. And then a little girl pipes up and says, "Hey, aren't you one of the guys that've been following?" Jesus around and Peter no not not me not me I mean he can't even get out of his his pubescent voice talking to a little girl then when he comes out to the tomb remember John we can say the same thing about John they don't even hang around the women do They wait on Jesus, but not Peter. Then the next thing we learn is, well, let's go fishing, guys. So Jesus comes. And I I suspect Peter, I I think Peter, surely Peter, was concerned about, what am I going to do? Who am I? I don't, maybe he didn't. Maybe he was just, but I, I think Anyone who's called faith, anyone who's genuinely converted, anyone who's who's been regenerated by the Holy Spirit can't get away from that. The hound of heaven, the Holy Spirit, will always tug at us and, and pull at us. And the end of that pulling and tugging by the Spirit is the Lord, Jesus, addressing us. So he comes, he addresses Peter, and you know he... He asked, do you love me? Do you love me more than these is how he starts. It's interesting in looking at all the commentators, uh, almost all of them, not all of them, but many of them bring up uh, the who, who are these? Who's the reference point to these? Some have even suggested that, well, that can be translated, and it can, as these things. Do you love me more than these things? And so he's pointing to the boat and the fishing rig and maybe even the fish, this pile of fish here. But I I don't think that's it. I think he's talking about his peers. Peter look around. Do you love me do you love me more than these fellows do? Now, I want to be honest with you. I don't know what Jesus is expecting him to say in answer to that question. Well, sure, Lord. I love you a whole lot more than John. And he's your best best disciple. But he asked him the question anyway. And then he asked him again. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, you know that I love you. A third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And this time Peter was grieved by what he said. You know, um, it's easy if somebody asks you something like that. Wants to just casually, flippantly, thoughtlessly say, "Well, sure." But if somebody keeps asking you that question, let me just think, husband. If your wife came in and interrupted you. While you're, do fill in the blank, whatever your favorite thing is. Read a book, watch a ball game, whatever. And she said, hey, do you love me? Sure. And she comes back by. Hey, but do you love me? Yep. And you turn the volume a little higher. And then she comes back and she says, Would you look at me? Do you love me? And if you've really been paying attention, wait a minute. Something's going on here. This is three times in less than three minutes. And that's not what's going on here. This is like bang, bang, bang. You can imagine if you really... Think about it a little bit. The next move would probably be to turn the TV off or to close the book and say, Yeah, what's going on? What's wrong? You know, are you dying? I don't know what I would say. Carol knows I love her so much, she's never had to ask. The Lord asked him three times, and finally, it sinks in on Peter, and it grieves him. Because, he said, the third time, do you love me? And then he says, Lord, you know everything. You know that I'll love you. Now, I need to address the words that are used here, because some of you have heard sermons that have been preached on the differences between The two words for love that are used here. Some of you even have written it down in the margin of your Bible. You're looking at it. And one of them is, depending on how your minister was trained at seminary, agape or agapao. The other one is phileo. One is that sacrificial love that only really God can have toward us. For God so loved that he gave his son. The other one, Phileo, is that Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. And there have been many sermons preached on the Lord's progression here and his use of these two words. And he couldn't get Peter to say, I love you uns- sacrificially without condition, but he could get him to say, I love you like a brother. Well, probably no one knows that there are two other words in this portion where he uses different words also. Tend and shepherd and know, K-N-O-W. Nobody seems to think those two words being different is suitable for a sermon, but those two love words seem to have got some quick attention. I tend to think in this case uh, based on the way John uses phileo and agapao in the earlier portions of the book that there's no real significance as far as difference. I mean we can go back to John 3.35 the father loves the son, agapao. And then in chapter 5, verse 20, the father phileos the son. So the father loves the son sacrificially, and then the father loves the son like a brother. Um. Are there distinctions etymologically in the Greek words? Yes, I've just told you what they are. But John doesn't seem to care about that at this point. It gets to this point, and this is, listen to this, because see, part of part of what the preaching process is is not just to be uh, encouraging and rebuking, but there's also... And and it's supposed to be didactic or instructive. That's the reason we break the portions up. That's the reason we do it the way we do it is so it helps you as you go home and read God's word to study God's word to see. Oh, okay. And one of the things that we we often references is uh, scripture interprets scripture. The first time I came across this, I was reading Carl F.H. Henry many years ago in his magisterial work on Revelation. That's not the book of Revelation but on God's word. And he makes a big deal out of this that the importance of words in the Old Testament and New Testament more often than not are dependent Determined by signification, not etymology. In other words, context. How does he use that word? Goodness, we can illustrate this in John easily and go all the way back to the first couple of sermons in John chapter 1. In the beginning was the word. Well, if you take the logos word and go to the Greek context in which John was writing... You, you will do great damage to Jesus if you use it etymologically. But John takes it and puts it into the context of speaking of the second person of the divine Godhead, and all of a sudden, you've got the living word who brings life to his people, and the written word which is the source of how we know the living word. It's, not a, it's hardly a Greek notion at all by the time John gets finished using it. Significance, not etymology. Now I'm going to just throw this out. This will be for all of you grammar-loving, English composition-loving folks. When you write your composition... Children, when you write your composition, young people, I want you to use as many synonyms as possible. Don't get stuck using the same word over and over. That's boring. Use different words so you won't bore your readers. I think that's what John's doing here. Agapao, phileo. And then with the other words, the no word and the tend and shepherd word. He's just saying the same thing, but he's saying it differently so you won't quit listening. So you'll pay attention. And so he offers us an expansion, a breadth. That's the other thing that writing with with varied synonyms will do. Whether it's in English or any other language but especially here it not only cuts out monotony but it expands the breadth and the depth and the height of the meaning. Right? Now you've got Jesus calling Peter do you love me sacrificially and do you love me like like, like your best brother you love me in every sense in other words or you just love me kind of like this hey folks listen there are a lot of christians who love jesus superficially with shallowness with an with an indeterminate meaning to the word you know them don't you they may be in your family oh you know i love jesus yeah, I live like hell, but I love Jesus. Right? And they've not been forced to reckon with, uh, how, how, how how much do you love me? How deep is your love? How wide is your love? How high is your love? In other words... Back to Deuteronomy 6, which our Lord Jesus brings into Matthew. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Agapao, phileo, all of it. That's how we're supposed to, and to do that, it requires some thoughtfulness. By the way, it's not something you can do once. Be just like you've all heard what's supposed to be a funny little quip. Do you love me? Yes, sweetheart, I love you. I told you once, and if I change my mind, I'll tell you. Okay, y'all, wake up. But right. That's not the way with Christ. See, we we don't stand here and someone says, you know, tell me about tell me about your faith in Christ. Well, when I was 11, dot dot dot. And you say, "Well, can you expand on that a little bit? How about when you were 12? 13? 15? How about while you were in college? How about after you had a baby? After about when you got that second job and started making more money than your father had made in his whole life in one month. Did you still trust Jesus? Was your faith strong then? Some of you have friends that if you ask them about Jesus Christ, they would take you back to some point in time when they signed a card or walked an aisle, and that would be the extent of their pathetic testimony. And you wouldn't be able to drag anything more out of them. Folks, may that not be true of any of us. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Jesus is not going to let you off the hook with one, I love you. Just like your wives aren't going to let you fellows off the hook with one, I love you. And just while we're on it, if you haven't said, I love you today, you ought to do it before you get out of this room. Husbands. Or wives. It's a good thing. And we should tell the Lord that. Do you do that when you pray? Every prayer ought to be saturated with, I love you, Lord. How could you not? How could I not? How could we as a church not over and over say, Lord, I love you. You know I love you. And you know I love you in ways I don't even know I love you. It's a thoughtful repentance and love. It's also a persevering repentance and love. You see now why I said those second and third points basically all part of the first point, but I wanted to make them because the way the Lord goes about this, Peter had to think about this. There was no, yeah, I love you. Yeah, you know I love you, Lord. Yeah, now what you want me to do? No, Peter, do you really love me? But it's also a persevering love. It's a love that will go on and on. It. Can you imagine? Can you imagine Peter in his head that that I love you, I love you, I love you question didn't run through his brain the rest of his life. Just like holy, holy, holy runs through our minds every day of our life. So do I love him? Do I love him today? I love him more today than yesterday? Well, here's the test. John picks up on this. It's amazing to me. In 1 John, particularly 1 John, this whole book is just John picking up on things Jesus said in his earthly life and ministry in the resurrected period and just expanding on it. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God whom we, when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. Now see that, John, that comes from John fourteen fifteen. If you love me, keep my commandments. But it also comes from right here. You say, well, did John hear this? I thought you said Peter was out here with Jesus. I got got a sneaky suspicion Peter told him. And may have even used it at some point saying, hey, listen, I'm going to ask you what the Lord asked me. Do you love the Lord? You know, somebody was tempted to go back to the nets, to fishing. Uh, Well, let me ask you what Jesus asked me. Do Do you love him? Yeah, Peter, you know we love him. I'm asking, do you really love him? Peter, you know. Well, let me ask you one more time. Do you love him more than everything else? I don't think that's a stretch of the imagination at all. I can see Peter doing that. So, it's a call for us to be thoughtful. It's called for us to be persevering in our love, never taking for granted. After all, Jesus said, Those who endure to the end shall be saved. Those who love to the end shall be saved. Those who repent to the end shall be saved. Those who believe to the end shall be saved. Well, then finally, notice that this is a call till death do us part. So Jesus moves, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted, but when you were old, you will stretch out your hands, another will dress you, carry you where you do not want to go. Part of that sounds like the Lord Jesus stretched out his hands, they dressed him in these These robes that were mockery, and they took him. Part of this doesn't sound like that, because the imagery of the stretching out your hand was to be constricted, to be bound. And did you notice what he said? You're gonna go where you do not want to go. Jesus went where he intended to go. He went freely to the cross. Peter's gonna go a little less freely. John adds in parenthesis, this he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. That goes back to John 12 when Jesus, after Jesus has said, uh, I will be lifted up. If I'm lifted up, all men, I'll draw all men to myself. John then later says, he said that to indicate by what kind of death he was going to die. It's the same phrase used earlier in John. Tullian writing in the third century tells us that he he died on a cross like his savior now some of you may have heard there's an, a, 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 a sort of a there's a made-up story that he di- he wouldn't he wouldn't submit to being hanged on a cross like his savior so he told him hang him upside down and that comes I could tell you historically how it came into existence but it's None of the early church fathers confirm it. They all confirm that he was hanged like his Savior, upright. Most likely, at the time, if you've studied that period, you know that the, the Romans wouldn't have accommodated a Christian to let him tell them how he wanted to die. They just said, no, we'll, we'll, we'll death you the way we want to death you. Uh, so you, you just come on with us. The point is, he died like his Savior, The same method was used. But then the end, after saying this, he said to him, follow me. That's what the ten, my sheep, shepherd my sheep is all about, isn't it? You love me, shepherd my sheep. If you love me, keep my commandments. That's it. So the question is, do you love him? And I should ask, do you love him? And do you love him? Do you love him to the best of your knowledge? I didn't ask you to the best of your ability because none of us love anyone to the best of our ability. We all come short. You say, well, how could I know if I love him? Well, this is tricky, isn't it? John just said it in 1 John 5. Jesus says it here, follow me. But then don't get it backward and say, well, I'm I'm doing stuff at church. I must love him. No, be sure the doing stuff is because you love him. Because John would say, we love him because he first loved us. Don't ever get that out of order. He loved us We love him, we follow him. That's the week before us, to follow him because we love him. Thank you, Lord. We ask you to work this in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.